Good evening. Man, I love Tina Lee. Isn't she so cute? So adorable. Um, it just brings such, so much joy to my heart whenever I come here to not just see, see Tina minister and being a part of the woman of God that she is, but also just everyone. Uh, on a cab ride here, I was faced with uh, massive traffic. It took me like 30 minutes to get here. I, I, I came from Hongdae, okay? And I was just stuck in the traffic and I was trying to figure out, God, why is there so many cars? And I just felt like I was just reminding me, Myungwa, you got to recognize who you are going to speak to. And I just felt that each person in this room, you guys are so special to God's heart and the way God feels about you. And I just hope that uh, you have a better grasp tonight as you listen to this message. Um, does anybody have an NIV Bible that I can borrow? I brought my ESV, but I need an NIV. Oh, yeah, that one's big and big and good. <laughs> Let me borrow that. <laughs> Thank you. If you have your Bibles, let's jump right into it. Uh, ch- uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. This is like a preacher's Bible. Wow. Um, Tina introduced me. As a pastor, but once upon a time, about 10 years ago, I was also a college student. <laughs> I, uh, I was a freshman uh, in 2005, so that's exactly 10 years ago. So back then, there was no Emmaus, so I wasn't part of this com- campus ministry, but I'm not that old. Just wanted to throw it out there. But it, there, there is that uh, decade age gap, though, that I start to feel. But if you guys could just relate to me or just pretend that you get my jokes and things like that, I really appreciate it. Uh, I am a native Korean, so I grew up in Korea. So my English is kind of broken. I may sound free, not frequent, uh, fluent. <laughs> See, uh, there's evidence right there. I might sound very fluent, but then at times I make it stuck. So if you guys could just be gracious with me, I really appreciate that. So Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Um, before I read that, I got to give a shout out to my Ewa girls. Where are you guys at? Oh, yeah. Come on. I graduated from Ewa. Forgot to mention that. I uh, always have to give the shout out to my Hubes. Ewa's an awesome school. Um, okay, let's jump into the word. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. I'm going to be reading from NIV. Uh, you guys could just follow with your eyes. Where is this? 26. Okay. Uh, They sailed to the region of the Gerasins, which across the lake from Galilee. Uh, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, but thought though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the men, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pig saw the, what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the garrisons asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The men from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the men went away, told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. Kind of lengthy passage. And if you don't have a church background, you may find this message a little bit shocking. Very um, kind of interesting story, right? There's like a pigs and like demon-possessed men, tomb. Like. So there are similar accounts all over, all throughout the gospel accounts. So there are three, uh, the same story, but three different authors talked about it. So Mark, Luke, and I believe Matthew, they wrote this, about the same story, but then their version is a little bit different. So I chose this because there are key words that I want to use for tonight's message. Uh, but this passage is all about freedom. And I want to uh, talk about freedom tonight. Everyone say freedom. One thing I was really excited about when I entered college was the greater measure of freedom that I was going to enjoy. You know, everybody told me in high school, oh, once you go in, get into college, you're going to lose all your fat. Americans believe there's like, like freshman 15 or whatever, but all Korean people believe that once you go to college, you're going to lose all your fat and you're going to look awesome. Such a lie, right? Uh, <laughs> not happened. Uh, did not happen. Uh, so I'm a, now I'm a believer of the American, the freshman 15 thing, right? That, but, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, you finally leave your parents and you live in your dorm or by yourself or, uh, you know, there's no curfew. You can pick whatever clothes you want to pick out. I don't know, just greater measure of freedom. You know, you can manage your own finances. You know, anybody here a freshman? First semester in college here? No? Oh, okay, two, a couple people. Okay, that's awesome. But if you are excited about the greater measure of freedom tonight, I'm going to shatter that tonight, okay? So be ready. <laughs> um, but I was super excited about it because I, I was born and raised in Busan, uh, which is about five hours drive away from Seoul. And when I moved here, I was like, wow, I don't have to ever, like, I don't have to ever, like, listen to my parents nagging me to come home earlier and all that stuff, right? So super excited. And I began to really think about what freedom truly meant. You know, what the world defines as freedom. Is that the freedom that the Bible talks about? What I think is freedom in my head, is that true freedom that I'm supposed to live under? So what you think freedom is tonight may radically shift and change. Because what you define as freedom in your head is probably very much affected by the world and the worldly view uh, or media or what you see in Hollywood or what your friends talk about all the time. But tonight I'm here to present to you that what we think may be freedom could be radically different than what God thinks is a true freedom. 
And freedom isn't just a conceptual thing. And I just want to throw it out there if you are just thinking, oh, freedom is just, you know, like a concept in your mind, whatever. But freedom is a tangible thing. When you are free, you are free indeed. And when Bible talks about that, it is very literal. And when you uh, acquire a greater level of freedom in God, you can actually feel it. It shows on your face. Like after people go through certain layers of, people deal with certain layers of sin or they, uh, you know, the spiritual freedom that you get, it actually starts to manifest. Girls look just more pretty, right? Trust me, it's going to happen, okay? You start to brighten up, your personality starts to change, and then your old thinkings and patterns of thinking, all those things get wiped out. And the freedom literally starts to manifest in the natural. So it's something to be excited about. So I had pages of notes, but I ended up, uh, when when DA was leading worship, I ended up scratching out a lot of things. So I'm going to be like jumping here and there, back and forth, but uh, bear with me. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit's going to lead me to certain portions of this message. So what is freedom? Let's talk about that. How would you describe, how would you define freedom? Uh, if you grow up watching movies, you know, when someone's coming out of prison or like some kind of like uh, solitary confinement or stuff, what do, you, what do you see? Oh, that's like an awesome picture of freedom, right? What movie is that? Shawshank Redemption that you, I never got to watch. Um, but, you know, doing, or uh, some people would say, oh, freedom is doing what I want to do. Exactly. That's just the simple definition. What I want to do, eating what I want to eat, uh, doing what I want to do is freedom. Or not having to follow rules or structures. A lot of people associate freedom with not being bound to rules or social structures or things like that. Or even like some, some people, you know, try to get out of their social agreement you know, like things like people wear clothes, right? When they are outside of their own home. Some people don't want to do that. So people run around naked. Have you ever seen people like that? I'm from a crazy neighborhood, so I saw people like that. Even in the Bible, it talks about this naked man, right? Living out in the tombs, but it's true. I've dealt uh, with cases like this, that people literally, in their pursuit of freedom, will refuse to wear clothes. You know, they're like moving naked, like beach, you know, naked, like... But cycling, all that stuff happens, you know? So anyways, that's kind of a weird example. But anyways, some people define it, oh, being naked and not feeling weird is freedom, whatever. Uh, or not being ruled or subdued by anyone. Not having to listen to any authorities. You know, I don't listen to the government. I don't listen to my teacher. I don't listen to my parents. I listen to myself. That's freedom. I do whatever I want to do, right? Again, um, many times when we live this way, that's the way to get into bondage, not freedom at all. So in your pursuit of freedom, if you define the freedom in a twisted way, you're going to find yourself under bondage more than ever before. So no restraint, kind of in summary, people think is freedom. Being free, no change, no shackles, no rules, no government, whatever, that's freedom. No parents, no nagging, you know. But no strength, actually not freedom. It's a way to put yourself under greater bondage. And let me explain further. So if you guys remember this story, it was kind of long. But verse 27, I'm going to read it again for you. It says, where did it go? 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. A long time, this man had not worn clothes uh-oh, or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. I'm going to stop right there. 
these are the symptoms that you've been affected by this false definition of freedom that the world presents to you. So you got to examine your own life and your own thinking and your mind to see, am I showing any symptoms of these things? Not saying literally you're like naked running around. I hope you don't do that, please. Uh, but I'm talking about symbolically. The word of God has layers of truth. So this, I believe, is a great example and a picture of someone that is completely uh, under the influence of unclean spirit, impure spirit, uh, evil spirit, uh, demonic spirit, whatever you call, I'm just going to call them demons, okay? Simple, all right? So number one, demons will always tell you to go out naked. This man, the first thing that the author describes him as that he hasn't worn anything for a while. That means he's been running out naked. Uh, if you attend my church, New Philadelphia Church, we emphasize the uh, importance of covering. But it's not just a New Philly thing. It's the entire church thing. Like, you got to be covered. Clothes represent covering. Someone is supposed to cover you with dignity, cover you with identity. It's all about you being covered. So clothes symbolizes covering and if you show patterns of rejecting the covering of any kind for example when you are young when you're underage it's your parents you know parents are placed to protect you not to control you i know some parents they abuse their authority to control your life and a lot of asian parents do that but they are also placed strategically to protect you and to cover you Make sure that you grow up in safety. Imagine a mother, right, uh, just gives a two-year-old baby daughter a full freedom, all right? You know what? You grew up, you know, I'm going to let you be free, all right? You go whatever, eat whatever you want to eat, whatever you want. The baby's going to die. I can guarantee if the mom did that on a vacation by the beach, baby's guaranteed to be dead. Do you guys agree, right? So parents are there, I mean... God, God's smart, okay? So parents are placed there to protect the baby, make sure that we are growing up in immaturity and we are safe, okay? So rebellion, patterns of rebellion to any type of covering. When you're young, your parents. If you're a Christian and you go to church, after you hit certain age, you transition from the covering of your parents to covering of your spiritual covering, such as your pastor, such as your small group leaders, someone that you could submit under and they will speak into your life. And that's the structure that God has chosen. God chose church to be the structure because you guys see shepherd, right? Jesus is the shepherd. You guys know that from the Bible. And Jesus places something called under shepherds. The scripture talks about it. They are pastors. Pastors literally means shepherds, right? So I, I'm a pastor. That means I'm a shepherd. And what do I shepherd? I don't shepherd sheep. I shepherd people. And you guys are God's sheep that are entrusted to me, right? So that's the structure God chose to speak and cover you through. And if you keep showing patterns of, I don't want to listen to church leaders that are all like, uh, like, Pharise not Pharisees, like the two-faced. Hypocrites, thank you. They're not hypocrites. I don't want to listen to them. Their lives are broken themselves. If you keep showing patterns like that, you've got to examine your heart. That, oh, do I have issue with distorted image of freedom? Is my definition of freedom really not biblical? Because true freedom can be found when you are safely covered under the covering. No one is supposed to run out naked. No one's supposed to live a life naked and without realizing that they're naked. 
A lot of people are, I am submitted to God. I'm su- I, I'll submit to God gladly, but I'll never submit to pers- like people. That is, I think, one of the greatest lies that a lot of Christians fall into. God is the one that tells you to submit to your spiritual authority. He does not lie. If he says so, if you better, for your safety, submit to a loving leaders of spiritual covering. Number two, let's see what kind of symptoms this man is showing. This man also, it says, he did not lift, uh, he hasn't lived in a house for a while. So he left his home. These demons and all the influences of the world will tell you freedom is leaving the community. Freedom is leaving your family. Freedom is being on your own, being independent. Not living in a house that symbolizes not belonging to the family, cutting yourself out, cutting yourself out from a community, especially, I'll say, a church. What, you know, again, what does mom do? You know, they nag you and they chansori you and stuff like that. But they also love you. Chansori is like nagging. So they love you and they protect you. And I said, if the mom lets go of the child too early, the child's life is in danger, right? Uh, Think about so what I'm trying to say is, it's all of our relationship, guys. Um, people think that uh, rules, structures, it's all about power, game, and, you know, like, um, like church, there are too many do's and don'ts, and I don't want to go to church because of that. I don't want to change my lifestyle. A lot of people uh, think church is all about being holy, doing the right thing, not doing the wrong things. They think it's all about the rules. But nobody gains anything from rules. We're not saved by laws anyways. We're saved by grace. What Christianity is all about is all about relationships. If you examine what God tells us not to do, it is for our sake. Because when we commit those sins and when we break God's commandments like that, what that ends up breaking is my relationship with him. Because that makes me not right with God. So for the sake of relationship, it tells you, don't do this, don't do that. Think about Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments talks about the first half of it is all about our relationship with God. So what will protect our relationship with him? If I fall into idolatry, that will ruin my relationship with God. So for the sake of the relationship, there are rules that God sets. These are the limits. Do not bow down to an idol. Do not. It's not that God is a control freak. He wants you, your heart. It's all about the relationship he wants us. The latter half of the Ten Commandments, if you know, do not steal, do not murder, do not covet your neighbor's wife and all that stuff. What is that? What's the purpose of it? To protect your relationship with your neighbors, people that are around you. I mean, that's kind of given, right? So God, when he gives us commandments and like certain principles, it is not to control us, but it is to free us so that we can live in that good relationship with him, with others. Are you guys following me? Right? So, um, easy example also is uh, like a love relationship. If you are married to someone, if I say, honey, I'll give you full freedom to flirt with anybody, sleep with anybody, cool with me, you know, because I love you so much. I'm going to give you full freedom. That's not love. That's crazy. That's insane. I'm, I will never do that, by the way, right? Uh, if my husband does that, oh, my goodness, okay. Um, so you could easily imagine with the lo- any type of loving relationship, parents, children, husband and wife, even friends, God and us, 
for the sake of the relationship, there are constraints, not constraints, restraints that are put on us. And we gotta embrace it as a part of love relationship. You know, oh, honey, I'll give you freedom. I already talked about that. That's not love at all. For me to be loving towards him, I gotta set the boundaries and let him know, hey, that's not okay. Because that's gonna destroy our relationship. You know, are you guys following? So make sure to do that, okay? Even when you enter into a romantic relationship, you gotta do it for the sake of protecting the relationship. So God does the same thing. And if, you know, I said Satan always tries to tell you to leave the community. Hey, they are trying to control you. You know, you don't want to be stuck in that peer pressure in the community. Leave. Just do your own thing. That is always a voice of Satan. Devil will always tell you to leave the community just like this man when he was demon-possessed. What did he do? He left the house that he was living in, left his family, went to an isolated place by himself. That's what one of the symptoms that you can catch on If you catch yourself isolating yourself and not wanting to open up to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you got to recognize, oh, there's an attack on me. This is not the voice of God. This definitely, I need to work on this. This is symptoms of um, influence of demonic voices. Number three, this man also lived in in the tombs. Anybody want to live in the tombs? Crazy stuff, huh? Demons will lead you to death, literally. They will lead you to the place of death. Um, They will act friendly, but then at the end, you'll find yourself in the place of death and darkness. If you have a tendency to resort to a stronghold, what I mean by that is a sin pattern, you got to check up your heart. When you are stressed, when there is a life crisis, uh, when you are under a lot of... um, pressure or whatnot, and you find yourself, I always resort to certain type of sin, we call that stronghold. Everyone say stronghold. Stronghold is, uh, in, uh, in Greek, uh, it actually have a dual meaning. So one that's very positive, one that's very negative. So stronghold, the Bible says God is our stronghold. So in that context, what it means is that he's our fortress. So in times of crisis, in times of trouble, we can go run to him and we are safe. So stronghold is something that you, when you find yourself in danger, you are going to run to the fortress, right? A safe place, a hiding place. That's stronghold. But then it also shows, oh, danger. It's like instinct. You go there without hesitation because you know that, oh, I'm going to be safe there, right? That's fortress, Stronghold. So the Lord is my stronghold. When King David says that, that means when he's in trouble, when he's like stressed, he's going to run to the Lord. He's going to run to worship him, pray to him, and hide himself under God's presence. Right? The Lord is our stronghold. But on the flip side, there's another meaning. And this is shocking. Stronghold means, by definition, prison. And also a tomb. That's number three definition. It's a prison and it's a tomb. So if you put it into context, you're, str- you're stressed out. Oh, you feel like oh, your life is falling apart. We all have our signature sins that we resort to. Don't we? 
we fall into isolation, we fall into pornography, we fall into uh, gluttony, we fall into all sorts of different sins. You got to recognize that if you have built a stronghold in your life or not, and if you already built it, you will find yourself whenever you are in trouble, you will run to it for sure. When you're stressed, you're going to run to it for sure, right? Rather than running to the stronghold, the fortress of God, you're going to run to your sin patterns. You're going to run to your prison that you built for yourself. It's well-fitting because you built it. You're going to bring yourself to the tomb. Prison leads to tomb, a place of death. And that's what stronghold does. By definition, guys. And I'm not here to single out anyone or condemn anyone, but we have to recognize what we do when we are under stress because that's when you are vulnerable. When you feel lonely, when you feel... Uh, under a lot of pressure, that's what you end up doing. A lot of people resort to sin patterns. So recognize your stronghold. Do I run to the Lord, the fortress? Or do I run to the prison? Or do I run to the tomb? This guy was running around in the tomb. He lived there. That was his stronghold for sure. So this man was alive in the physical body, but he was just as good as a dead person. He lived among the dead. In the complete place, place of complete darkness. That's what this man did. And verse 29, I'm going to keep on moving. Verse 29 says this. Though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Again, what place? Other translations say desert. Solitary places. When, yeah, they tell you to isolate yourself. So watch out for that. Um, and then different account that I was talking about in Mark chapter 5, it says this, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. But if you look at this sentence in uh, Greek, in original language, it has so many negatives in one sentence that it's just telling us, like it's emphasizing the fact that no one could ever bind him or control him or subdue him by no chain, by no shackles. It was impossible to control this man. And he goes on to say, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons of his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Scary. Sounds like some horror movie, right? This is what the, the spirits do to you. Catch this, if no one can subdue you, if no one can speak into your life, if no one can correct you on your sin, it's a big red flag. Okay? When someone tries to speak into the area of sin that you're struggling with, you get all defensive or you shut down, you try to leave the church and to go to another church, that is a sign of, it's a big red flag. Okay? So, this what you can tell is demons will always tell you refuse any restraints. Break it off. Change, shackles, break it off. You got to be free. Break it off. Don't let anyone speak into you. Don't listen to anybody. That's like the pattern that was perpetual in this man. People tried to subdue him, chain him up to protect him. Because what was he doing? He was over the tombs and he was cutting himself with stone. And then he was like crying out and acting like a crazy man, right? And to help him out, people were trying to, you know, restrain him. People are trying to chain him up. Hey, brother, you're not healthy. We got to make sure you don't hurt yourself anymore. But this man breaks it off. This man runs off. And then what ends up happening? 
So what he was trying to do for his freedom was ending up hurting this man all the way more. More cutting, more destruction, more crying. He was being tormented, guys. And what breaks my heart is that this is not just a Bible story that I'm talking about. I've seen so many people that are living under such bondage and not know how to get out of there. And I'm talking about like as young as teenagers being tormented by uh, nights of nightmare, unending nightmares. Like, you know, what, what is that? Kawi? Like sleep pra- paralysis. And all these other stuff. Um, people that I encounter on missions field that are literally showing symptoms like this. They will literally run out naked at night and not come home. Stuff like that. This happens. This is just not a story from the Bible. This is reality. And I know some of you are shocked by the reality of the spiritual realm, but this is what happens on a daily basis. And I think at one point, I also had to wake up from my naive, everything is beautiful type of Christianity to, I mean, I got a warfare for my own sake and for my family and for my church. I had to wake up to how real the spiritual realm was. Like, it's not like, oh, flowers and, oh, beautiful rose petals everywhere type. That's not Christianity. It's all about, I'm a bri- I mean, you know, it's all about the bride, right? Bride of Christ, but the, war- the, the what is it? Warrior bride, right? You have weapons hidden inside and you just got to fight, right? So it's, yeah, it's all about the beauty and the glory and all that. But there's real fight that is involved. Jesus won the victory. That's what we know for sure. That's what the Bible says. But for that to manifest, there's a walk that we got to walk. Freedom has been purchased. Sin is forgiven. That has been defeated. Do you guys know that? That's the gospel. But for us to walk in the freedom, there are steps that as believers, we got to take it. Because if, how easy would it be, the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, I accept him, and my life is just easy. Everything, there's no problem. Oh, perfection. Then who would not believe in Jesus Christ, right? But there is no such life. There is a cause that's been paid, so you don't have to die for that. You don't have to earn it. But in the place of victory, you got to continue to walk out your freedom. That's all I'm talking about tonight. This man, back to this man, self-destructive patterns. Did you guys pick up on that? When he thought, I'm just going to be free, breaking off all the chains, and he was cutting himself physically, but I'm also talking about patterns of uh, self-destructive patterns that are emotional. You know, you do certain things, and then you beat yourself down. Why did I do that again? Stupid me. And then you can't control it. You do it again. And then never again. God, I repent. Never again. Never again. Uh, forever. I'm, I'm set free. And then the following day, you do it again. Have you ever been in such trap? Have you ever felt that trapped in sin? In that bondage? Oh, I've been there. I'll, I'll tell you in a moment. I've been there. Stronghold that we talked about earlier, at the beginning, it all starts with that. Oh, I'll just flirt with it a little bit. I'll just dabble with it a little bit. Just for fun, out of curiosity. I'll just have a little bit of fun and then I'll get out. But that's how every stronghold in your life is formed. Okay? Hit my word, okay? Strongholds at the beginning... You feel like you can control it. I got it under control. No worries, mom. No worries, dad. And then three months later, you're an, you're, you're an addict, right? You're a drug addict. You're, drug addict. you're selling drugs. You know, that's what happens to a lot of college students. I'm serious. You know, alcohol. Oh, you know, one shot here, one shot there. I only got drunk once. Two months later, you're alcoholic. 
You're like liver's failing. And you're like 19. Come on. <laughs> That's how strongholds are formed. I'm serious. These are real stories. You know, at the beginning, oh, I'm just flirting with this guy. He's a Korean guy. He's cute. He's broken English. Whatever, whatever. Uh, you know, I just went on three dates. And then he's pushing you to sleep with him. You know, and then you're like, oh, a little bit further. No, 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 no I'm a Christian. A little bit further. And then without realizing, it takes over. This is not a joke, guys. Every majority of the college students I was saying in Korea, they're all going through building some serious strongholds without even realizing. They just think that they're just having fun. This is temporary. I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm freshman. Come on. I got to have fun before I get older. Whatever. That's how you build these strongholds of prison and tomb, and you are stuck there forever. That's how it happens. That's why we need Christ to come in and... Even from the get-go, redefine freedom for you. That's not what freedom looks like. Premarital pregnancy is not freedom, guys. Alcoholic, all that addiction, it's not a picture of freedom. Doing what you want to do does not give you freedom. It ends up putting you under bondage. You know, everyone thinks that I have control at the beginning, and then it starts to control you. And then at the end, you feel like this has completely... Uh, overcome like my willpower and you just feel like oh, no one can overcome this including myself including god that's what and at the end of um stronghold that's how you feel you know oh yeah god is mighty but i don't know if he can set me free about this that's how a lot of people end up feeling i'll tell you about my story uh i'll say when i felt most desperate and i felt most stuck in sin was regarding my eating disorder So it started when I was about 16, and I had eating disorder, specifically bulimia. Do you guys know what bulimia is? It's like eating crazy amount of food and then just gagging it all out it's because of fear of um, gaining weight. So I had that for about six and a half years. Three years when I was not Christian, uh, three years after, three and a half years after I became a Christian. Even after I received full-time ministry calling, I struggled with it a little bit. So it's not because I didn't love the Lord. It's not because I didn't, um, you know, want to obey Jesus. It was nothing like that. I was in love with Jesus. I was, still, I was on fire. However, I just felt totally controlled by it. Uh, without my, against my will, I would just go to the toilet, um, just, you know, jump my finger into my throat, and I would just start to throw up. And then uh, to the point where, In, I think, junior year in college, my third year in college, I would be doing it everywhere. Like, even in dorms, uh, even when someone was in the room, I would just turn on the faucet and then just, you know, muffle the sound. I would just do it, but then later on, my body starts to kind of, like, resist it. So it, it became very difficult to throw up. And then what I started doing was punching my own stomach. self-destructiveness talk about that i would punch myself as hard as i could i had, like bruises all over my stomach um i had like a huge scar on my hand uh and i just felt completely powerless in this area i could not control it and i would pray to god as i was throwing up god help me god i i think i'm gonna die if i live like this rescue me lord and i'll be praying but then totally against my will i will still be doing the same thing so this is a picture but at the beginning guys i thought i had control over this you know i would choose to throw up i'll choose to eat what i want and wait what an awesome way to um control my weight you know and i'll eat whatever i want to eat but then i'll never gain weight 
you know, that's what I thought. So it started very innocently, but then it ended up becoming something very demonic, and I couldn't control myself. And I got delivered, praise the Lord, instantaneously. But I'll tell you guys in a little bit, the more like a detailed story of it, but God delivered me. And um, this story of this man, it also ends in glorious deliverance. And I'll, I'll show you how it happened. Verse 28. Detour, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. This is not the man speaking, guys. This is the demon speaking, okay? This is demon. What do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the, what does he call him? Most high God. So this is a specific phrase that in the that's like an ancient title of God. So this means God of Israel, uh, Kind of like distinguishing him from all other uh, idols and gods in the in that time. Okay, so demons are talking to him, Jesus. I know that you are the son of the Most High God. Guys, demons know who Jesus is. They don't resist him. They do not have power to fight him. They know who Jesus is, and he said, "I beg you, don't torture me. Please don't cast me out." And the demon says, "Please don't send me to abyss. Abyss. I had to do some research in it." It's like very vague concept, but it's like a prison, underground prison where the demons are locked up in or something like that. So it's like a demonic prison. But they're saying, please let us, you know, roam around on the earth, harassing people, harassing animals, but don't send us into the prison for demons. That's what they're saying. So they fully know that Jesus, at his command, that all these demons have to go. You guys get that? When you think of Jesus, is Jesus as powerful as these demons think Jesus is? I was challenged by their faith, okay? These demons have some strong faith in Jesus' power. And sometimes as Christians, we don't think Jesus is as powerful as demons think he is. These demons know, I beg you, please don't torture me. I know at your command, I have to leave these people, you know? But sometimes we feel like, but my issue is so big. My problem has been going on for five years. I've been living with this forever. But Jesus, can Jesus do something about this? Hey, demons know better than you. Shame on us. Seriously. And we got to recognize who Jesus truly is. And verse 30, it goes on. Jesus says, what is your name? This is not the person's name, okay? The name Legion is this demon speaking. And he says this. He replied, because many demons have gone into him. So demons saying, hey, many of us are here in this man. And guess what? Legion is a Latin term, a Roman military unit of this many soldiers. Guess how many? What? What? Somebody speak up. I'm going ridiculous. Come on. <laughs> this is one man. Okay, one man. 1,000? Good guess. Up, up. 10,000? Come on, you went too much. <laughs> i just give you the answer. 6,000 soldiers. That's a huge unit, okay? So that's what's called legion. And he said, what's your name? And he goes, my name is legion. Means 6,000 demons in one man. I don't know what this man did, but that's a lot of demons to have, right? It's really cramped in there. Crazy. So this man was completely controlled by extremely large number of militant evil spirits. We're talking about like, not just like hippie demons, but like militants. You know, we're a unit. We like, we're, we're, my name is Legion, you know? It's some gangster stuff. <laughs> you know, 
Can you imagine this? I think this is like too crazy to handle. Anyways, and then they are saying, please don't send us to that the, the dungeon, right? So Jesus gives him gives them permission to go into who? The pigs, okay, the swine, the herd of swine that was chilling there. And then Jesus goes, okay, go into them. And then they go into the pigs. And then guess what happens? Oh, where am I? <laughs> oh, yeah. So they're like, uh, so by the demon's re- response, you guys know that, like, they know for sure, no matter how many they are, no matter how strong they are, no matter how well organized they are as demons, they know that when Jesus says, go, leave, that means they have to go, leave, right? So at Jesus' command, nothing will fight him. They just have to, yes, sir, and go. Going to the pigs, yes, sir, pigs. Going to the abyss, oh, yeah, okay, we'll go to the abyss. Jesus has the final say in this. And this shows us how big and how powerful Jesus is. And so many times I think we magnify our problems. You know, our issues are so big because it's like so overwhelming sometimes. And if you think about, you know, there are Bible verses that are like exalt him and magnify him. Have you ever thought about, you know, magnifying means making bigger, right? Do you know how big God is? He's as big as he gets, okay? So it's not like I say be magnified and then God gets bigger. He's just as big as he gets, right? So I used to wonder like, what does that mean? You know, I exalt you, God, but then he's at the highest place he can ever be. So he's like in, in infinitely big, infinitely high. But then like Bible t- keeps telling us like magnify him and exalt him. And I, I do it because Bible tells me to do it. But then I always wonder. But I just had this revelation that when the Bible tells us to magnify him, imagine a magnifying glass, okay? Have you ever played with it when you were a kid? Magnifying glass, if you put a magnifying glass on a Bible, these fonts will look bigger to me. But then the actual size of the font does not change, right? So when we, the Bible says magnify him, it tells you, hey, your perception of God is too small. You got to magnify him so that he will look the size that he is to you. It's not like go make him bigger. No, it's like, yo, your perception of God is too small. You got to magnify him. You got to recognize how high he is in your own life, how big he is in your life, how powerful he is in your own life. Another thing, cool thing is, if you played with the magnifying glass, you know that like uh, on a black paper, you like gather the light. You know what happens? It burns, right? Is Matthew Cole the only one that knows this? No, right? <laughs> so if you like a put, put out like a black paper and then you gather the sunlight and then if you like focus it well, it starts to burn. You guys saw that? And how cool is it that, you know, God is like all consuming fire. He's more than a sun, right? And then when you start to magnify him, and then you're trying to like exalt him and magnify him, and then all that light comes to you, and then the darker you are, the more sin you have, by the way, you're going to be more set on fire because it's going to start to burn you, you know? I just thought that was really cool. Just wanted to share that. I was super excited this morning when I had this revelation. Oh, consuming fire. And as I magnify him, I get set on fire. Isn't that so awesome? Come on, come on, somebody got it, somebody's got it. <laughs> um, I'll share how my uh, deliverance story ended. So my deliverance story from bulimia, so when I was completely powerless, I could not control myself. And at that desperate moment, uh, I opened up to a sister at church. So it's something very girls find very shameful to talk about weight and like, you know, I want to lose weight, but then I'm bulimic. Like, it's just, 
It's an area of sin. It's something that's very dark. So I didn't talk about it, but I decided to open up to one of the sisters at church. And then I honestly shared my struggles. And she just simply prayed for me. Okay? I didn't fall down. I didn't start to shake or anything. I just cried a little bit. That was it. And that's how my bulimia ended. That's how God supernaturally delivered me. Okay? So that's type of deliverance, the supernatural power of Jesus that we just read in this book. Sometimes God does it. Just sovereignly, all right, you cried out to me, you opened up, I confessed my sin, I repented with the sister, and by supernatural power, I was delivered instantaneously. But here is my part. So that's God's part, right? When we got to pray, we got to ask for freedom, God delivered me. I, I cried out to the Lord as I was wrestling with my toilet, okay? And God heard my cries, and he delivered me, but I had to do my part. I had to do my part, which is called discipleship. So it's D&D. It's deliverance, but also discipleship. There's a saying that you cannot cast out your flesh. You got to cast out the demon, but you cannot cast out your flesh. Are you following? Right? But you cannot, you got to cast out the demon. You cannot disciple the demon. You know, you're going to disciple the demon out? He's not going to leave, right? So demon, you got to cast him out. That's deliverance. But your flesh, your sinful nature, you got to be discipled to learn to walk in the spirit and not by flesh. Making sense? Deliverance, yeah, important. But discipleship is just as important. And when those two meet, I'll guarantee by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and by his grace, any Christian could be free. From whatever sin you're struggling with, powerful discipleship, powerful deliverance, you are set. Freedom is yours. For that, Jesus had died on the cross to purchase the freedom for you. It's fully paid for. Fully paid for. So you got to go get your freedom. It's paid for. There's your copy of it. Are you not going to go get it? These are the ways. Delivered. Be delivered. Be discipled. So, you know, come out to large groups, you know, have some power encounters, have Pastor Myung pray for you, all that stuff. Awesome, right? But also, go out to your familia. You got to open up and talk about it with somebody. You cannot try to, I will open up once I deal with it on my own. When I deal with my shame issues, then I will talk about it. That, it doesn't work like that. You got to open up and that's going to give you a leverage to be free. And that's how the deliverance comes. So, College students, don't fool yourself. You cannot save yourself. You can't play savior. You know, I, I got this. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. You know, my self-control, my willpower, I got this. No, you don't, you don't have it. It's not going to happen, okay? Got to open up. Talk to your spiritual leader. Be under covering. Commit to a spirit-filled church. That's how you are going to live in true freedom. Not what the world tells you is freedom. Here, I'm trying to give you guys hope. I was completely, completely hopeless. But when God moved, he moved. And it's, it's done. It's just history. It's just testimony. And Jesus tells us this man, go, tell people what kind of things that I did for you. Right? Share your testimony. And this is what you're going to be doing after you are uh, freed. John 10.10, 10, it says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus saying. And you guys know when the spirits enter the pigs, what happened to the pigs? They started rejoicing and running around. No, they ran straight down the bank, 
the riverbank and then they all drowned. They all died. So you know what the evil spirits or the religion, what they were intending all along is to kill you. He's not just chilling in you. He has an agenda to steal things away from you and to destroy you. And at the end, he's going to kill you. That's his agenda. It's not like he just wants to buddy-buddy with you, you know, for a lifetime. I'm just going to live in you. And no, his agenda is one. He wants to kill you. Whenever I read this passage, guys, what comes to my mind is suicide rate in Korea. You guys know about the Han River. Han River is beautiful, but that's an awesome place for people to throw themselves off the bridge. And many people can kill themselves. Hundreds of people do that every year. When I see this passage, I'm reminded of them. They are harassed by spirit of death. They are harassed by spirits of depression. It's not that they just throw themselves off the bridge. No, they are in a completely hopeless state because all these demons are harassing their mind. And just like these pigs went into the river and they helplessly died, the devil is still doing his work on people and even upon God's people. We need to wake up to the reality. This is not just a funny story about 2,000 pigs dying. This is reality, guys. And we gotta stop and we gotta be free because that's what we have. Not gonna be happy with anything less than that. Verse 35. I'm just gonna close with this uh, one point. Verse 35. So, in a nutshell, all the people in the garrison, that neighborhood, heard about what had happened. 2,000 pigs died, right? That's a big deal. So everybody, they all came and heard about how this demon-possessed man got delivered. I'm pretty sure this man was famous. I mean, naked, running around all night, crying. I'm pretty sure he's famous, right? This famous dude, uh, something happened to him, and then all, all of a sudden, 2,000 pigs died. So everybody heard about the story, how Jesus cured him. And hear this. It says this. He, they came and saw, um, they found a man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and, praise the Lord, in his right mind. Woo! And the Bible said, and they were afraid. The people who saw this, I was expecting to read, they were overjoyed. They praised God. No, it says they were afraid. Verse 36 to 37, it's more surprising. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the garrisons asked Jesus to leave them. Because they were overcome with fear. These people were afraid. But one side note is that uh, pigs were considered unclean animals. So probably the people that were farming these pigs were Gentiles. They were not like Jewish people. So they probably didn't really know much about the Christian God. you know. But still, so these are pretty much non-believers in our context. People that don't know God. Non-believers look at what happens to us and they're saying, Ah, Leave. I don't want that stuff. They're afraid. These people wanted, rather wanted the, the legion, the 6,000 demons, in the men than on those unclean pigs 
that caused a lot of, I guess, loss in their finances. They didn't know how to celebrate the freedom of this man. They rather wanted the demons just kept in this man so they could save their precious pigs. Many of us are surrounded by non-believers, guys. And when you finally get your victory, your freedom, not everyone's going to celebrate. They're going to be like, oh, you don't drink anymore? So you're not going to go clubbing with us? We're going to go tonight. And they may just want to kill you. You know, they may just like isolate you and not play with you anymore. That's like some sort of persecution, right? But that... But then, like, you're, like, finally free from your promiscuity. Finally, you're, like, coming out of your alcoholic, your alcoholic tendencies. But then, like, nobody's there to celebrate with you. They'd rather, oh, that's too much. Or you, you know, get your freedom from all sorts of, like, lustful sin natures, whatever. And then your boyfriend, non-believing boyfriend goes, he keeps pushing you to sleep with him. And then you say, no, I made up my stand. I, I'm not going to do that. And then he goes, then we just got to break up. Uh-oh. Yeah, people will do this. Uh, you don't, uh, you, 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 you're, you're, you're not going to drink? Then just don't come to our Tongari gathering. You're going to ruin the whole punigi, you know, the whole atmosphere. So we'd rather not have you. All sorts of things happen. Peer pressure starts to creep in. And it's going to give you guys a hard time. And you, you may feel like there's no one to celebrate this level of freedom that I just got. You know, the breakthrough that got brought into my life. And that's when you need to really guard your heart. That's when you need to really remember what Jesus said to this man that just got set free. Remember and tell people what God has done to you. You may feel like timid or you may feel like Oh, is this, maybe this is not a good thing. I'm being ostracized. I'm being isolated. You know, my friends are not feeling this. But this is when you got to stand on your ground and say, no, this is a good thing. This is what Jesus died for me. This is my victory. And this I'm going to celebrate. And I'm 100% sure that no matter how people respond around you, they may grieve over the death of the pigs and the loss of whatever, but Jesus is there rejoicing over your victory. That's right, my son, my daughter. I died for you so that you could live in freedom. For that, I endured all the pain. For that victory, I endured all that suffering. And he for sure would rejoice over the deliverance that you experienced. And as Jesus walked on earth, this is just one of many stories. He healed the sick. He um, set the oppressed you know, demon possessed people free. But I'm sure over and over, as he did his ministry, I'm sure it was burning in his heart. Man, I want all of my people to be free. Not just those who are in Galilee. Not just those who are in the neighboring villages. Not just one here, two there. But I want entire humankind, my precious children, to be free. And I'm pretty sure when Jesus saw this man free in his right mind, clothed now with dignity and under the covering, when he was sitting at Jesus' feet, Jesus was probably like, okay, for this, for my people, I gotta, I gotta take up the cross. Jesus knew that was the only way to redeem the entire mankind. He knew that he had to die to pay for the sin of the mankind. 
And he knew, and exactly knowing what he was getting himself into, he chose to die on the cross so that we will have powerful testimonies like this demon-possessed man. I mean, no longer demon-possessed man. (laughs) That's the heart of God. His heart burns for your freedom. Even when you give up, he does not give up. So don't give up. This is the time, I believe, you need to really build in your stronghold. Stronghold as God, the fortress. College is, these four years are precious, guys. And God really sees this time as a very, very precious time. He's molding you. He's shaping your entire life from this time. And one thing I really want to encourage you guys to do is build him as your stronghold. The Lord is my stronghold. Under stress, I go to him. When I'm pressured, I go to him. When I'm sad, I go to him. When I have conflicts, I go to him. When I'm tired, I go to him. Let him be my stronghold and not these same patterns. Don't build a prison. Don't build a tomb for yourself and run around hurting yourself in destructive patterns. That's not God's will for you. God wants you to be free and truly free according to his definitions. Doing what you want to do is not freedom. That's you going under the bondage yourself. His loving restraints are there for you. Let me just pray for all of us.